culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And a great day when uh, we absolutely need some great new beginnings in both of the major political parties in the United States. Now, I don't think they have equal problems. I honestly don't. Uh, what I'm going to share with you first is why, basically, to, to be a Democrat and to take some of what they are standing for and working for right now seriously is almost impossible. There, there are things that you can't do. Uh, there is a, a calculation and more information about proposals both on the statewide level in California and in the city of San Francisco for reparations. And uh, if, if anyone doesn't think that that is going to become a factor in the Democratic primaries, uh, look, th this is one of the reasons that there are some people in the Democratic Party that with all his faults and all his foibles and all his elderly uh, mistakes and and incompetence and growing out of, don't want to say incontinence, but it, look, he had lots of problems uh, having to do with advancing age. We're talking about President Biden. And with all of that, one of the reasons I think that a lot of Democratic leaders really want him to run is that if, if he did decide to run for a second term, even with all of the weakness that has been associated with the Biden administration just recently in the last few days and weeks, the uh, presence of him in the race would foreclose a wide-open, uh, freewheeling primary. In a wide-open, freewheeling primary, somebody is going to bring up this idea of reparations and say, yep, San Francisco's right, we need to give $5 million dollars and a 250-year income guarantee. You think I'm making this stuff up? I'm not making it up. Uh, then, of course, you have the Republicans and a certain problem with being unwilling to draw a line between a crazy people and the rest of us. And do I think that George Santos is crazy? I do. I think he's crazy and corrupt. And is he the only one in the Republican uh, universe right now? Well, we'll get to that. Okay, first off, this story from National Review. An advisory committee's recommendation that San Francisco pay out hefty reparations to longtime black residents could cost the city at least $110 billion dollars, which is even a conservative estimate. The advisory committee, which we covered on the air, released a draft report last month, that would be uh, December of last year, proposing that the city of San Francisco make a lump sum payment of five million bucks. One hundred billion dollars. Well, that comes to $100 billion. That's what it comes to for the cost of the city. And it's just simple math. Remember how Andrew Yang, whatever happened to him? Is he still running for president uh, on his, what did he call his party? It wasn't the independent party. It was, 
I am even forgetting. It was the irrelevant new party. Um, in any event, Andrew Yang used to exalt the importance of math, and math is important here. The advisory committee released a draft report last month proposing the city make a lump sum payment of $5 million to black residents who are at least 18 and have identified as black or African-American on public documents for at least 10 years. Residents must also meet at least two of eight other requirements. Among those requirements is that the resident is personally or the direct descendant of someone incarcerated by the failed war on drugs. In other words, if you or your dad or your grandfather uh, was arrested for drug dealing uh, of any kind, well, then you make it. Or you have to be the descendant of someone enslaved through U.S. chattel slavery before 1865. Now, the problem with that is California never had slavery. It didn't exist in California because Mexico had abolished it when California was still part of Mexico. And uh, they abolished it way before the United States. And it, in the United States, California became a state in 1850 as a free state. And it, it pro provoked the big crisis that led to the Great Compromise of 1850 because California would not come into the Union unless they blocked slavery. So the number of people who really have a $5 million lump sum coming from the state of California, the, uh, they say in this report, a, a lump sum payment would compensate the affected population for the decades of harms that they have experienced and will redress the economic and opportunity losses that black San Francisco's have endured collectively as the result of both intentional decisions and unintended harms perpetuated by city policy. The group is set to submit its final proposal to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors in June. Oh, great. That's just when we're supposed to reach the crisis about the debt ceiling. <laughs> Expected in June, maybe May. Um, if even just 50 percent of the city's nearly 45,000 black residents. And by the way, San Francisco is a city of almost 800,000. So you're talking about less than 10% of the city, but still you have 45,000 black residents. If um, half of them meet the requirements for the proposed payments, the city would be staring down a $112.5 billion bill. For comparison, the city's entire budget for fiscal year 22-23 is $14 billion. So this is 10 times more than the city spends on everything else, on police departments, on public schools, on parks, on uh, hospitals, on everything else the city spends is one-tenth as much as they would have to pay in these $5 million per family lump sums. This is unreal. And by the way, and that's without considering some of the other proposals intended uh, and, and included in the report, such as that the city supplement lower earning recipients' incomes to meet the area median income, 
of about $97,000. So that if you uh, do not have uh, an income of $97,000, the city will pay you, if you're black, to uh, make up the rest of it. And how long does this go on for families? 250 years. I'm not making it up. It's right here. This is in the text of their report, the recommendation of this commission. For 250 years, you're going to be paying people income supplements to bring them up to the median income? This is a way to outlaw poverty. Uh, There would also be, there's more, a comprehensive debt forgiveness program for black residents that would cancel student loans, housing loans. You took out a mortgage? Forget it. The city will pay for it. And credit card debt. Oh, terrific. In an effort to, quote, give black households an opportunity to build wealth. If every black resident qualified for the $5 million payment, the city would be on the hook for $223 billion. Remember the other number that we had, which was $112 billion? That was only if half of the black residents qualified. This would place a cost of $263,000 on every non-black person in San Francisco to pay for all this. Think this will be popular? 1-800-955-1776. Coming up. And on the Michael Medved Show, there is a very profound question that is asked by a very bright scholar, a resident scholar at the Institute of Governmental Studies at University of California at Berkeley. Now, can we agree that University of California at Berkeley, which is where my brother went to school, my brother Jonathan, uh, that that uh, that that particular school for all of its virtues is not exactly a conservative hotbed. Uh, this is not a uh, an institution known for its conservative attitudes. And uh, Stephen F. Hayward, who is a resident scholar at the uh, Institute of Governmental Studies at UC Berkeley, took a look at the figures that came out from this commission that they're going to recommend to the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco. This is no longer just a hypothetical. This is the plan that they have. 250 years to provide black residents with income supplements to make sure they get up to the average income, at least for the city of San Francisco, which is much higher than the average income for America in general. In any event, Stephen F. Hayward says, who's going to stay in San Francisco? If you actually try to impose that kind of cost on people, whether through direct taxation or through debt, everyone would leave. Yes, they would leave. What kind of cost are we talking about? It's a cost minimum of $263,000 for every non-black person in San Francisco. I was actually thinking about this because we went to the, the playground yesterday and, uh, and with, uh, with three of our grandchildren, and uh, including our two-year-old grandson, whose birthday is coming right up, David. I mean, you want to put uh, on on two-year-old David uh, $263,000 in debt to pay for lump sum uh, reparations? Really? He says, 
uh, Hayward told National Review, I can't believe that they're actually serious with this and what they thought they were really going to accomplish other than making an opening bargaining position, put out a really big number and hope that maybe you'll get something more modest, but still in their mind significant. The San Francisco report came on the heels of a statewide proposal for reparations for black citizens. Advocates have called on the Golden State to offer direct payments to black Californians. And when you're talking about black Californians, you're talking about millions of people, not the 45,000 who live in San Francisco, to offer direct payments to black Californians of $350,000 to $800,000. That would be a cost somewhere between $784 billion and $1.8 trillion to the state. Um, Hayward, this is the professor at Cal Berkeley, said he doesn't see reparations happening on a citywide or statewide level. The payments would be nearly without precedent. No, they'd be entirely without precedent. The most apt comparison is when Congress offered $20,000 per person in reparations for Japanese Americans who themselves had been interned in camps during World War II. As he notes, however, these recipients were people who were still alive, not their distant descendants. And by the way, and adding to this list of people, people who, uh, who were incarcerated in the war on drugs. Additionally, neither proposal is particularly politically expedient and both would inflame racial tensions, you think? Uh, I do think so. And, okay, I mentioned there was something that, that where, where Republicans uh, also can do better. And, no, this is not disqualifying. I think the whole idea of reparations is disqualifying. How could you vote for anyone or any political association that was talking seriously about putting this kind of burden on people based on race? based not on content of character, but the color of your skin. In any event, in the New York Times uh, headline, Republicans were lax in vetting candidates charged in shootings. Dateline Albuquerque. The former Republican candidate accused of targeting the homes of Democrats in drive-by shootings had uh, routinely called for locking up 2020 election officials in Guantanamo Bay he promoted conspiracy theories about solar power, feminism, and, quote, the demonic theories of the globalist elites. He had been demoted twice by the U.S. Navy and served nearly seven years in prison for burglary. Yet powerful Republican Party leaders in New Mexico not only gave the first-time candidate, Solomon Pena, 39, full-throated endorsements, they also opened their checkbooks to fund his raise for a state legislative seat in central Albuquerque. Uh, he came across to me as a very respectful, thoughtful young man, said Harvey Yates, an oil man and former chairman of the New Mexican Republican Party, who donated $5,000 to Mr. Pena's election effort. Now Mr. Yates acknowledges that he may have made a mistake. What do you mean he may have made a mistake? 
This guy hired four other people and went himself personally, and they fired guns into the homes above the heads of the children of four Democratic office holders because he thought since he lost his election race, he got 26 percent. The incumbent got Democrat got 74 percent. So it was so close that he thought he was cheated, that it was another rigged election, another stolen election. Uh, in New Mexico, the case also highlights the internal struggles among Republicans as election deniers like Mr. Pena, who was in the crowd for President Donald J. Trump's speech in Washington on January 6th, according to videos uh, uh, collected by online sleuths, uh, till the ranks of candidates seeking elective office. Um, other Republicans, such as Anthony Trujillo, Audrey Trujillo, who ran for Secretary of State, embraced conspiracy theories about elections, school shootings, and COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, some Republicans are now uh, bracing for more revelations about Mr. Pena, who was arrested on Monday and charged with criminal solicitation, attempted aggravated battery, uh, shootings at an occupied dwelling, shooting from a moving vehicle, and conspiracy. The police called him the mastermind, which I think is a highly complimentary, behind a conspiracy in which four other men were paid to shoot at the homes of two county commissioners and two state legislators and said that he personally participated in at least one of the shootings. Do you think we could do a better job of betting? Can I just say two words on that? George Santos, we will get right back on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. That is really extreme. On the Michael Medved show, you might wonder, how is it even possible that Republicans who are proud to be the law and order party, and my God, do we need a law and order party, particularly with the level of, of shoplifting and car theft and property crimes, which have been going up faster than crimes of violence, but the crimes of violence are bad enough. But uh, all of this pertains to how it is even possible that Republicans could invest money, spend money, and give their nomination for a seat in the state Senate in New Mexico to this guy, Salman Pena, who, by the way, he just wasn't a, a regular residential burglar. Listen to this. He, um, Mr. Pena ran on a platform of cracking down on crime despite his own criminal history. He served nearly seven years in prison in New Mexico on charges including burglary and larceny after being part of a smash-and-grab crew that slammed vehicles into retail stores, including a Kmart in Albuquerque, and then stole items, according to court records. Um... Mr. Pena appears to have run for the Republican nomination for the state legislature unopposed. In October, he received an endorsement from the Republican National Hispanic Assembly's New Mexico chapter. 
Ronnie Lucero, the chairman of the group's national organization and uh, the state uh, chapter, said that he had spoken with Mr. Pena at events during the campaign and that the candidate had filled out a questionnaire asking about his professional, financial, and criminal history before the group endorsed him. He, he also was demoted twice in the Navy. He had very real problems there as well. And um, this, is, this is all a very real question. Uh, Mr. Pena presented himself as someone on the mend, leading groups in prayer at political meetings and telling neighbors that he did not drink or take drugs. But he made little effort to hide his extreme views. His campaign website denounced the demonic theories of the globalist elites and their foreign counterparts. It called feminism uh, demonicism and uh, said that the 2020 election had been rigged against Mr. Trump by enemy combatants, quote, who must be placed in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, for the remainder of their natural lives. Uh-huh. And the the idea of associating with people like Solomon Pena simply because you need somebody to go up as a sacrificial lamb in a in a uh, district that is very heavily democratic uh, does does not lead people to believe that you are a trustworthy or serious political organization. There's also this. What would a day be without the very latest on the uh, inimitable George Santos? Um, it says, among the few allies, Representative George Santos has... Uh, sought to maintain during his brief time in the political spotlight is a group of young Republicans with connections to white nationalists, uh, conservative conspiracy theorists, and far-right European parties. The New York Young Republican Club was seen as a springboard to help the congressman pull off the win in his congressional race this past November, despite clashing with Santos on issues like same-sex marriage. The club is continuing to lend their support by stating that Santos shouldn't have to resign, but they said they wouldn't support his candidacy for another term. What do you think? Uh, it turns out also that they have um, uh, come up with that. That's reported by Politico, and they have also come up now with film of at least three performances in drag uh, this after George Santos uh, swore and uh, averred that no, he had never been a drag performer. Apparently, uh, yes, he had. There is um, there is more uh, in uh, the twenty twenty four corner. Tim Chapman uh, moved from former UN ambassador Nikki Haley's advocacy advocacy group to join former Vice President Mike Pence's group. Advancing American Freedom. The switch between camps comes as potential GOP White House contenders seek to build out their operations in preparation for the launch of campaigns against Trump to be the GOP uh, presidential nominee. And then uh, there's this story from the Washington Post. 
South Carolina Republicans aren't ready to back Trump to be the GOP presidential nominee, despite a wave of efforts from Trump's team to drum up support in the early voting states. South Carolina GOP officials find themselves divided between their support for Trump, their desire for a competitive nomination fight in the state, and their allegiance to two South Carolinian natives. Uh, Tim, uh, that's Nikki Haley and Senator Tim Scott. And you can also mention another potential South Carolinian for a national ticket, maybe not for the presidential spot, but for the vice presidential spot, and that's Nancy Mace, uh, who has been getting a lot of uh, television exposure and uh, comes across very well. Uh, there is this. I, I told you before about the uh, Big O Barnett, who was the rioter from January 6th, who was infamously photographed with his feet up on the desk in Nancy Pelosi's office. He's been found guilty on all eight counts he was charged with, including obstructing an official proceeding. One of 900 people who've been charged in the Capitol Hill riot. This is the MSNBC report, clip 11, giving you the news. Richard Barnett, the man arrested in the January 6th attacks, who famously put his feet on then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi's desk, has been found guilty on all eight counts. What can you tell us? Convicted on all eight counts, Andrea, he testified in his own defense not very successfully. He did apologize and say he regretted being in the Capitol that day, uh, but he kind of wilted under cross-examination, didn't really uh, speak well for himself, and now he's facing significant prison time. Okay, what's significant about that is that he apologized. And what you have heard with all of these people who have been prosecuted and there's i think it's over 200 now who have either been found guilty or they have uh or they have pleaded guilty they are all apologetic and yes of course they want to get off but isn't it striking that when there are people who are not facing uh testifying under oath when they are facing a trial they don't look at January 6th as a defensible or even admirable kind of experience. And, and the idea that, that people who continue as election deniers, the, uh, the claim now is that uh, Carrie Lake may have acknowledged finally that she is not governor, even though she thinks she is the properly elected governor. And uh, there is talk that she is going to be running against Senator Kristen Sinema. That would be a catfight for the ages. But then again, Blake Masters is also running and also running as a Democrat. Uh, Kristen Sinema will be running as an independent is uh, uh, Ruben Gallego, who is a Democratic congressman and a uh, former military officer and someone who's trying to run as a more moderate Democrat. So we will see uh, about Massachusetts coming up. Uh, there's also a report from an uh, influential newspaper about uh, the end of Seattle. Is Seattle finished? Crime-ridden, woke cities dying downtown and more are coming up on The Medved Show.
And on the Michael Medved Show tomorrow, they announce the uh, nominees at last, at last, at last for the Academy Awards. And a number of people are expecting this could be one of those times when things change in, in the terms of the Oscars, which have been getting a lower and lower and lower TV ratings uh, over many years. And uh, this year, why would it be different? Well, because there are two movies that I think both are likely to be nominated for Best Picture that are phenomenally successful. One of them, of course, is a maverick uh, the Top Gun movie with Tom Cruise. It will certainly get some nominations, but I think it will get one of them will be a Best Picture nomination. They're going to do a full 10 movies. And uh, the other is the Avatar film, uh, Way of Water. It just passed $2 billion in box office grosses. It is one of the top money making films of all time. Uh, so is the Maverick movie. Uh, Frank Bruni writes, I think, a fascinating piece about uh, uh, Avatar, The Way of Water, and Top Gun, Maverick. He says, call them the colon movies. Well, that's because they have a colon each of them in their title. It has nothing to do with that part of your intestine or that part of your body. They are uh, strong contenders for Best Picture nods tomorrow. But so are the Banshees of Inishirin and Tar, which have no colons, limited commercial appeal, and deliberately challenging narratives and tones. Putting all four movies in the same contest is like contriving some athletic competition that pits football players against a water polo team. Uh, they are, they ply different elements. I think that is true. And uh, with the Oscars coming up, so, of course, is Super Bowl. And one of the factors in the Super Bowl is going to be Tony Dungy, as usual. Uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer and NBC analyst Tony Dungy apologized on Saturday this weekend after he posted a tweet this week pushing a debunked conspiracy theory about transgender and non-binary children. Dungey uh, replied to a tweet from the Daily Wire on Wednesday that had a video of a Minnesota lawmaker advocating for schools in the state to be required to put menstrual products in boys' bathrooms. Uh, the whole basis for that, we played that, what an idiotic speech, uh, claiming that uh, it was um, that many boys these days menstruate. Now, that's based upon the idea that there are children, even at very young ages, who have made the transition to male, but they still have enough female equipment to go through a menstrual cycle, really. This inclusion effort would be done to allow all people who menstruate access to the proper hygiene products, and it is a growing trend across the country. So Dungy replied to the tweet by pushing a widely debunked conspiracy theory that claimed that uh, districts in the United States were putting uh, litter boxes in school bathrooms for students who called themselves furries and identified as cats. Now, I think we've mentioned this before on the show. This has been circulating for months, I think maybe for years. 
It's not true. There is no such thing. There's no evidence of it. There is not... I mean, look, things are crazy in this country and there are a lot of <laughs> episodes of craziness, but not to accommodate children who think they're cats. Uh, the hurtful theory, they say at uh, sports at yahoo.com, the hurtful theory, uh, they say, has been debunked repeatedly in recent months. Dungy deleted his tweet several hours after he posted it. He then apologized on Saturday Something he said he first issued on Thursday, but not everyone saw it. I saw a tweet yesterday, and I responded to it the wrong way. He wrote, as a Christian, I should speak in love and in ways that are caring and helpful. I failed to do that, and I am deeply sorry. And all I can say is, what a classy guy. Uh, despite his tweet this week, uh, Dungy will still be on the air for NBC's playoff coverage this weekend. He will participate in the network's pregame and halftime shows for the Kansas City Chiefs mashup against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Saturday. And uh, I am sure that he will also be part of the Super Bowl coverage, as he should be. Um, there's also religious news, well, kind of religious. A uh, rabbi named Josh Franklin in uh, New York and Long Island he is the uh, senior rabbi of the Jewish Center of the Hamptons, surprised his congregation by delivering a sermon written entirely by artificial intelligence, AI. The rabbi used the ChatGPT chatbot, a free-to-access AI program launched in November of last year. After reading the AI-written piece, Rabbi Franklin asked his congregation to guess who had written the sermon. In response, the congregation incorrectly guessed it was the late, very beloved and brilliant Rabbi Jonathan Sachs who had written the piece. The rabbi then expressed fear over the advancement of AI, revealing that his sermon that he had delivered, well-received, was written by a machine. He expressed fear of knowing where content comes from, fear of AI replacing jobs, and fear for future developments. Uh, but not all rabbis are uh, as sanguine about uh, uh, or concerned about AI. The rabbi said he was confident that despite the excellently written sermon, AI would not be taking over his job because technology lacks uh, nefesh, Hebrew for soul, while technology might be able to mimic emotions and write in-depth about human relationships, it cannot feel and it has no soul. And uh, there is uh, another rabbi named Gershon Winkler who says that uh, AI could actually work and take over those jobs and cited the ancient Jewish uh, folktale, really, about the golem, who is a non-human machine-like lump of clay brought to life. Uh, meanwhile, there is some life in a new uh, Animal Lovers movie. It stars Rob Lowe. It's produced by Rob Lowe. And it's called Dog Gone. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. 
Rob Lowe plays a wealthy suburban father with a free-spirited son who's recently graduated from college. And they repair their fractured relationship when looking for a lost dog the young man has recently adopted in Dog Gone, now streaming on Netflix. Gonker isn't any dog. He's my best friend. And now he's lost. I promise you we will find that dog. You promise? How can you say that? Because I believe it. Well, it's hard to believe, but this melodramatic film is based on a remarkable true story about a search lasting nearly a month for a beloved pet who went missing on the Appalachian Trail. Rob Lowe is solid and the canine star is charismatic and wonderful, but the rest of the cast is unconvincing and shallow, and the screenplay is mostly predictable and puerile. Rated TVPG for some heart-tugging moments of injury and illness. Two stars for Dog Gone. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, coming up uh, next time, uh, there's Speaking of End Times. Uh, Lauren Boebert showed her theological chops when she predicted that Jesus will return, and soon. Why? Because Satan is going to beg him to come because Christians are out in such a great force and not hiding in caves. Okay. Uh, speaking of hiding in caves, there are two states that still observe a holiday you may never have heard of. The holiday is called King Lee Day. Is there a king of England or anywhere named King Lee? No, that's King as in Martin Luther King and Robert E. Lee. Uh, we will tell you which two states and what the future holds for that holiday. Plus, losing their religion... There are over 4,000 churches last year that were sold, that closed down or moved. Uh, what is going on with the decline of a church life in the United States? We will get to that. And also, a, an accused murderer is, um, made the mistake of going to Internet searches about dismemberment and how to dispose of a body and when a bodies begin to stink. Uh, he begins to stink already in this greatest nation on God's green earth.